VoiceOver Coffee Shop, Episode 5. Welcome to the VoiceOver Coffee Shop, where we share our morning with some of the finest names in voiceover. And now, here's your host, voice actor Andrew Morrison. Hi there, my name is Andrew Morrison, and welcome to the VoiceOver Coffee Shop, where we start our day with some of the finest names in voiceover. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to visit my personal website at www.voicebard.com. In today's episode, we have my dear friend, Dan Leonard. Dan has become a recognized industry expert in home studio setup and problem solving. Specifically for voiceover artists new to the industry, he is also co-host of the popular VoiceOver Body Shop which talks about home voiceover studios and other news within the industry. In addition, he is also a founding board member of the World Voices Organization, an industry association set to represent voiceover artists around the world. Dan not only tells us the biggest myths in building a voiceover home studio, but also how he built 100 clients in three years and about Wovo's mission in the world of voiceover. Please give a warm welcome to Dan Leonard. Hey, Dan, hey. how are you? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic today. So um, how do you take your coffee? Oh, I take it. Well, depends on where I am. You know, mm-hmm. you know if I'm, I, you know, if, if you're familiar with Tim Hortons, it was always double, double. <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have Tim Hortons out here in California. So it's right. Starbucks or Dunkin' or one of those places. and. There it's double double, but right now it's almond vanilla flavored almond milk. Fantastic! So you do voiceover work, and you have a business where you help in-home people get their studios set up. Did you start on the studio side and the technical side of voiceover, or did you start on the voice side of it? Well, I like to say I've been doing voice work since the Ford administration. Uh, I started doing it. I started doing it right out of college, actually, when I was in college, you know, I was always interested in, in recording and, uh, was on the school announcing staff in high school, did theater. And then when I went to college, I went to college to study, study broadcasting. And I went to college in 1975, uh, went to Bowling Green State University, my, my freshman year. And uh, learned an awful lot about audio production in a very short period of time. Yeah. Uh, you know, with reel-to-reel tape, a razor blade, and a grease pencil. And uh, I mean, this is well before the age of digital digital recording. And on, on reel-to-reel machines that were probably from the 40s. But still worked and were well-maintained. Um, which you'll find at a university. Anyway, but I learned how to edit sound and do production work there. And, um, you know, when I graduated from college, I went, came back, went back to Buffalo and finished my school at uh, Buffalo State College, which also had a great broadcasting program. And, um, and went into radio and was a radio announcer and eventually uh, a production director where I produced commercials so my job was, you know, work with the copywriter, you know, 
you know, get the secretary in here. I need the station manager. He's got a great <laughs> voice. Bring him in here. You know, that sort of thing. And I had right. a great time doing that, you know, and producing stuff for some of the on-air guys. Uh, and, um, and then I went into easy listening music for, you know, which is not something you're an expert in. It's just saying stuff like joy FM 96, all music, all the time. And, um, you know, we did production work there and I stayed in radio probably for about 15 years and, uh, you know, had a talk show, did all those sorts of things. So I, I learned audio production in the analog fashion. So I went back to school, got a teaching degree while well, I sold insurance for a while. I like to ignore those, those years. Uh, and then I got my teaching degree taught social studies, American history and the constitution. Imagine what my brain's going through right now. And, um, you know, but taught, you know, and I taught television studio production in his, and built our own studio and all those sorts of things. And then, uh, and then I left education in 2001 and came home and was producing my master's degree uh, a project, which was a, um, it turned into a radio program, an, an hour long radio documentary on this you know, legendary jazz musician from who was from New York, but he lived most of his life in Buffalo by the name of Alan Tinney. And uh, he supposedly is the father of bebop and he was a great guy. I got to meet him and then he died in the middle of the thing. And, but uh, you know, and that taught me that, well, look, if I can record digitally and do all this stuff here in my basement, I should be able to do this anywhere. And I typed in voiceover on my, uh, my computer they did have search engines back then <laughs> and uh and then voice and i type in voiceover and it was like as i like to say it was like when dorothy opens the door from black and white in her their house into munchkin land and it's in technicolor and there was this new industry of online voiceover just happening and um so i started getting very involved in doing voice work uh e-learning audiobooks uh, commercials when they would come along, um, those sorts of things. And at the big, you know, at the early times of social media, where you would get on stuff like Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, and uh, and and some of the 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 pay-to-play sites would like to you know help their people, and they would like ask me, well, you want to answer questions, because people would find me online and say, how do you do this? How do you do that? And finally. Uh, my wife was like, you know, you're not going to give away, you know, 25 years of knowledge of, of production and proper audio production. Why don't you hang out a shingle? And so I started doing, uh, you know, the home studio master. And, um, you know, and then I, people found me and I, I found a way to do business with that. So it was voice work. And when people asked, I would do, uh, I would do a consultation with them and teach them how to do it or, see how they're doing and make sure that their sound is, is proper, you know, which is something that apparently nobody knows how to do because nobody right. understands what it is that it is you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Everybody's got a different answer for what you're supposed to be doing. So you, you said that was in Buffalo, New York. How did that translate to you being in California? Oh, it's a long period of time. I mean, I spent 58 years in Buffalo, um, uh, no, we came out to California in uh, 2015 because my youngest son, uh, who has uh, 
very high functioning Asperger's is also an incredibly talented animator. And at the time, if you wanted to have a career, we needed to be in LA. Of course, I wanted to be in LA because a lot of my friends were here and everybody wanted me to move out and move next door to them so I could take care of their, their production studio uh, and their home voiceover studio. And um, so we came out here in 2015 and he got into a program at a school called Exceptional Minds, which is a, a model program uh, here in Sherman Oaks set up by industry people like, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Ed Asner. Um, uh, oh, what's her name? And I met her. Gorgeous. Um, what's her name? She played uh, Medicine Woman. Um, and she's got the thing on, you know, you, you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> those were some of the people who were starting this place. And he got in on the third year. Uh, and you And it's not just like for people, because it was specifically for people with autistic spectrum disorders. Mm -hmm. They found that they're very, very good at animation, digital special effects, that sort of thing. And um, they, they, and he was creating his own series already. So like, yeah, we, we want him. They were only taking 10 people a year. And we came out here on the idea that he was probably going to get in there. And he did. So it was, and he was able to bike to school every day oh fantastic he was in the program and then they actually have a studio that's a working hollywood studio and they uh they actually do work for the major studios uh sometimes you'll see if you're watching the credits of some big marble blockbuster it'll say credits by exceptional minds mm -hmm. and uh and they produce stuff for sesame street and uh uh, and a couple of big corporations and it's a really interesting program where they're really trying to take uh, people who are incredibly talented, but have, you know, autistic spectrum disorders, very hard to employ. So they're training them how to work in the industry while teaching the industry how to work with them. Right. So that's, that's essentially what brought us out here. I mean, okay. that, that in January and February. Yeah. And my mother lives out here. So it made, gotcha. it made So did he animate Mugman? Out of curiosity, he did. He did. Oh, no, that was that was all him. That was and that was an, that was like an accident. He was like he was taking art lessons from a friend of ours who's a very prominent artist in in Western New York, mm -hmm. and goes, "Do me a storyboard." He was like, "Oh, okay," and he wrote this little storyboard using this character that he and his friends were using in something in Big Little Planet or something. I don't know what it was. Right. And she's like, do you think he can animate that? And he's like, oh, okay. Because he knew how to animate. And, and he did that. And he, we wrote a little script for it. And I'm like, that's nah, got to be longer. You know, it, you know, it can't be 30 seconds long. Just trying to drag this out for two minutes. Let's make it a bigger joke. Right. And so, you know, we, I, you know, we, we both did the voices for it. <laughs> and he threw it on his YouTube channel. And suddenly it was like, hey, this is really good. And we... I mean, he, he was, it was how he expressed his worldview of things. Right. Uh, so it was a real, it was, it was an opportunity for him to really become somebody. And, uh, you know, and I got to take part and help him write some of the stuff. And, you know, when it's like, what do I do with this? How would this work? And I would come up with the most obscure thing. And it was, <laughs> it was great stuff. So that's, that's what happened with Mugman. He's got a new series that we're trying to get out right now called Loose Ends which is actually even better and even funnier and 
he did another one called Plancy, where it's this it's supposed to be. Oh, I've off. seen. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you helped write and direct Plancy, didn't you? I I wrote a lot of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I got to play the this flower that lived in her head, and he's like this nasty, obscene flower. Like, Who the hell are you talking to? You know that sort of. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, what influenced you to to want to even go to college for broadcast in the first place? Just like, what did, I wanted to do. did you just listen to the radio and you were like, "Oh, that was that's oh, cool. Right. I want I want to well, do that. That looks, that I, sounds like fun." I grew up in the '60s, you know, and it was AM radio. And if you're familiar with uh, WKBW radio in Buffalo, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some of the other fifty thousand watt clear channel stations, I was always into that. Mostly trying to listen to hockey games from all over the place. You know, WOWO in Fort Wayne, Indiana, home of the Fort Wayne Comets. You know, that sort of thing. Um, so I was always interested in broadcasting. And that's, you know, and, and I was in theater. And uh, that's how I got into it. So what were some of the, like, biggest resources that helped you along the way with that? As far as... Like as far as um, going from like making that leap from I'm going to do broadcast to I'm going to go help people build their home studios. and Oh, well, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, you know, this, this was a, you know, a 30 year evolution, you know, sort of thing. I mean, I was strictly broadcasting. And then, uh, you know, when I started, you know, because I had a teaching degree and a master's degree in education, um, mm-hmm. Everybody should go back to school and and really learn, really learn how to be culturally literate and how to do something really important. And teaching is a great thing. Um, but you know, I was because I was able to teach. I started doing webinars on it, and you know, in the early days of webinars, and uh, and 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 really sitting down with people and teaching them how to physically do it. Uh, you know, so after thousands and thousands of, you know talking to different people and, you know, conferences and all these other things, you get quite a pretty deep knowledge of exactly what it is you're supposed to do in a home studio. And you've got so many people trying to get into the business right now uh, who are utterly clueless. It's, you know, they're like, oh, it's just reading for a living. Right. No, not quite that. So, so the resources I had were, you know, a master's degree in education and a very deep knowledge of how to record properly. Tell you what, I could have definitely used you when I first started out because I did not know what I was doing. I was like, oh, I can go into a closet and I can just put clothes up, which I mean, it worked, but I still kept getting a good bit of reverb. And a lot of people told me I had a reverb and I didn't know what reverb was. And <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know the terminology because I wanted to get into voiceover. I didn't know the audio engineering side of it. So when somebody comes to you to build a home studio, what do you think the biggest myth about building a home studio is? The biggest misconception. Oh, that you've got to have the best and most expensive equipment because it's clearly the equipment that gets you all this work, which is utter nonsense. Uh, The problem is, is that people keep reading all of these, uh, you know, blog posts and, uh, you know, in social media and in, in uh, Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups and all these mm-hmm. other places. 
and people say, what's the best microphone for voiceover? Oh, you have to have a Neumann TLM-103 or a U87. You've got to have this because that makes me sound great. To which right. I usually respond, who cares? Uh, because it's not the microphone that makes somebody sound great. It's what goes on between your ears and goes into your lungs and comes out in right. the sound that you exist in and have. And one microphone is not going to capture you better than another. And the more a, a, a microphone captures something, the more here's everything else within a 10 mile radius. So right. uh, you don't want that. You don't want a big expensive microphone. It's all about technique and all of it is physical. And that's the biggest mistake that most people make is they don't understand what the physical things are that have to go into your home voiceover studio because it's not your job to be an engineer it's your job is to hit record and be a voice actor and that's crazy that you mentioned the neumann tlm 103 because neumann owns sennheiser yeah, so the reason that they price things so differently is so they can keep neumann as those luxury microphones right. but i have the sennheiser mk4 and mm -hmm what $700 worth of difference between the two microphones and I can't hear five cents worth of difference. And that's like, the thing. That's exactly yeah. it. Right. Yeah. There isn't an engineer out there that's going to say, Oh, you're using a TLM 103 or you're using right. a UAD. They can't tell. So what is this big argument? Oh, what's going to make me sound best. Who cares what you sound like? You don't hire right. you. Right. You know, if they can hear you and they, and it sounds good, it is good. Noise floor, bit, sample rate. That's it. Well, it's, yeah, it's the acoustics of the room, how much noise is coming from the outside, what is the right. reverberation inside the room, proper microphone technique, so you're not getting plosives. I mean, if you're, you're, you're watching me here on Zoom, but they can't see, but do I have a pop screen on my microphone? And I can go Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers all day long, and I'm not getting any plosives right. because it's all proper microphone technique. And, uh, and then setting proper input levels, which nobody understands. Right. So um, what's one thing that you wish that you knew when you started? Something I wish I knew. Something, uh, if you were to go write a letter to about to jump into college, you about to jump in to start idiot, um, about to start in radio, about to start right. on your audio degree on your broadcast degree well i i the first lesson i learned once i got out of college was is that it's not art it's business um you know a job is a job you know it the bottom line is a dollar i mean you can be creative and all those sorts of things but it really comes down to being able to be good enough to keep the job you have <laughs> or in voiceover today understanding that it is a completely entrepreneurial business and you are not, you are depend, you can't depend on anybody else to get your work. It's your responsibility. And I think that's something that a lot of people make a mistake at. And it's something that I had to learn very quickly once I started professionally, you know, in radio, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a creative person, but who cares? You know, do I show up every day? Do I get my job done? Yeah, I can be creative in there but it's not my creativity that's going to, you know, make sure that I, I'm employed all the time. Right. So what has kept you going through all of these changes? Well, in the voiceover industry in the last 15 years, since I started doing this, 
uh, knowing what I know, knowing that there's people that need to be helped. Uh, there's, um, you know, there's always the next job and trying to make sure that, uh, you know, doing what, what it takes to make sure the business is always coming in and, and of course, teaching other people how to do it, but right. not a public service agency. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's, there's certain things I need to do to make a living. And this is one of the things that I do. And, uh, you know, so it keeps me making a living and it, uh, and it's fun. But I think the thing that really keeps me going now that I think about it is all the other great people in the business. You know, right. You know, I, I have so many friends and so many acquaintances just from doing what I do. Someone like you, you know, right. I, I just voiceover people just have a whole lot in common and, uh, and I love it, which is, you know, one of the reasons that we started the, the, uh, the industry association for freelance voice talent, uh, world voices and, uh, of which I was one of the four founding members and, uh, we're very proud of it. We've been, we've been up for nine years now and we have, you know, over 800 members and uh, worldwide. And we're really trying to be a worldwide international organization. And, um, you know, and right now we're starting to really gain momentum again. Tell me more about the World Voices organization. Uh, we are, unlike a Facebook group or a, some an anomalous uh sort of entity we are an industry association the purpose of an industry association is to work collectively to help everybody in a specific industry right and, and our mission at least the way i envision it is that it's our mission really to raise the 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 the, the perception in the, in the community, in the business community, the voiceover is a profession that we are supposed to be well compensated for what we do. We are not, con, you know, paving contractors. If there's any right. paving contractors out there, I'm very sorry. But, you know, we've, we've invested in our equipment. We've invested in, in, in training. We've invested in, you know, time and those sorts of things. And we're not doing it as a hobby, although I'd say right. 90 None of the people are probably doing it as a hobby and not as a full-time gig trying to make a living. Right. Uh, sure. If there's any full-timers out there listening, they'll probably go, yeah, probably, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not an easy job. I mean, there's a lot to it. Yeah. 90% of the people are hobbyists and they don't understand that there is a way to make a living doing this, but you've got to be really good. Right. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, you know, when I really started doing voiceover, I sat down and made a plan. Got to do a business plan. It's like, you know, I want to have 100 repeat paying clients in five years. I did it in three years um, and built a business, you know, along the way, you know, using pay to plays, making cold calls, uh, you know, talking to, um, you know, producers and things like that. Really never really had an agent. I mean, I have agents, but do they ever find me work? No. Um, they're fun to talk to, but uh, of course now I'll never get an agent, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with, I'm with a couple of agencies and I, and they, they call on me, but you know, not being a young person anymore, most people who are doing the hiring today thought I was dead 15 years ago. So, you know, they're not, they're not hiring us old guys unless, 
unless they want an old guy. And I don't sound like an old guy, you know. I sound like I'm in my 40s, at least to my own ears. I don't know. Depends on the time of day, too. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a profession, uh, and you have to be good. What we offer at Wovo is um, you know mentoring for people who are are not really full time professionals who are trying to build up to be full time professionals. Mm -hmm. We we look at industry issues, and it's an open discussion. Uh, we, you know, we present webinars and we have a, we have an annual conference, at least we did till all this nonsense hit. Uh, and then, um, you know, we've been doing regional conferences and it's great because it's a core group of people that I've known for years and we've been bringing new people in and, you know, the, the enthusiasm is really there and, uh, you know, it's, it's important. Oh, and the other thing we're doing is we also have a website called voiceover.biz that Joe Davis and I built uh, called uh, voiceover.biz, which is a, um, it's a member benefit for our professional members uh, who it's, it's a searchable directory of them and their demos. So if someone okay. can look for someone who does this and according to all the demos they have, it will, you know, spit out the people who do that. And these are vetted professionals. These are people who we consider, you know, professional voice people. And, you know, we're trying, we're trying to let the producers and, you know, the, the people who produce e-learning and audiobooks and all these other things, look, you know, look, you can, you know, go out one of these pay to plays. It doesn't, we don't charge you to be on voiceover.biz, but all you're going to get is our professional members who are all good at this. And it will save you a lot of time. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that, you know, some agents will just use us as their roster. So it's, yeah. uh, it's it, you know, check it out, voiceover.biz and world-voices.org or Wovo as we like to call it. I hope you enjoyed learning about how Dan paved his path into the industry and spent the last 30 years giving back to the community through his desire to educate those in need of how to properly build a home studio. In our next episode, we talk to Dan about microphone technique, fixing reverb and boxiness in your audio, how to judge a voiceover coach, and learning to be yourself in your recordings. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The VoiceOver Coffee Shop. For more information on guests, new episodes, and more, be sure to visit www.vocoffeeshop.com.